Tonight I wanted to um, talk about motivation and intention, uh, which I think are very, very important topics at any time, and it particularly came up for me now because of the new year. And um, I think intention may be the closest thing in Buddhism to a New Year's resolution, right? Because that's what a resolution is. It really is setting an intention, right? So I don't think in Buddhism they, they think in terms of our cultural, you know, New Year's resolution, but it, it just was up for me because I know a lot of people do that. And um, at the gym that where I exercise, I heard one of the trainers in there saying that there's, and I don't know if the statistic's really true, but what he said was is that there is, there's been, it's a known statistic that the average length of time that people are able to sustain a New Year's resolution is 23 days. So maybe people have really researched that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, people start off with sincere intentions, maybe really a lot of enthusiasm, and then 23 days later, you know, on average, it's gone. So I think it can be uh, useful to take a look at what's, what are our motivations and to bring those to mind and make them more conscious. Sometimes it's not clear and easy to figure out what our motivations are, but it's an exercise worth doing. And that can help sustain us in whatever area of life we're talking about. And then from there, look at what intentions come out of that, right? And bring, make those more conscious. Um, you know, there are many things that might motivate us, right? Not all of them are healthy motivations. If I don't know the right word. Skillful. I don't want to say good, but you know, right? You can be motivated by altruism, care for others, many wonderful qualities. We can also be motivated by hatred, greed, revenge, fear, right? Many different things can motivate us. There's a you know, a saying that, you know, you, you, I don't know if I hear it so much, but I used to hear all the time about, you know, following your heart, right? Which I always thought was, is a, and I still think it's just a wonderful sentiment to follow your heart. And I've talked to my daughter many times about, you know, wanting to encourage her to follow her heart. And then as I thought about it over the years, I don't, I don't know that that's such a good idea necessarily for everybody. Not everybody's hearts <laughs> are that... <laughs> pure, <laughs> right? Some people have a lot of, um, I'm not sure the right, you know, difficulties. <laughs> now, I really believe that we all, all humans have a goodness down in us, but it can be covered over pretty deep for some. So some people, maybe it's not such a wise thing to not always follow your heart, If we don't become clear and aware of what our motivations are, they may be operating in ways that we don't see, right? Um, just look at what a thought is. Not even a motivation, just a simple thought, right? I actually don't know what a thought is, but there's not much to it, that's for sure, right? What's a thought? It's pretty ephemeral. Just some words kind of float through. Right? There's not much to it. 
But when unseen and when identified with, look how much power thoughts have, right? Right? I mean, you know, the thought here, see these beautiful flowers here. The thought could arise. Oh, look at the beautiful flat flowers. There, there's a thought. Oh, look at the beautiful flowers. Okay. Wouldn't make much, that big of a deal about that. Just notice it and go on. But we could have a thought. Um, no one loves me. I'm no good. It's really no different. It's just a right. It's exactly the same as oh, look at the flowers. I'm unworthy. Right? When seen, when when we're mindful, conscious, and aware, we can just we don't have to get hooked into it. It just comes and goes. The power is kind of you know it's like taking the air out of a balloon. It just loses its power. When not seen, we just get hooked right in, right? Right? If we're to have any chance to come to some freedom in our lives, and I want to talk a little more, you know, that word freedom can mean a lot of things, different things to each of us. But if we're going to have any choice to not be driven unconsciously by thoughts and other forces, it certainly hinges upon our ability to bring some kind of mindful awareness to these forces within us. So we're not just at the effect. So motivations are also something worthwhile taking a look at. You know, I think it's safe to say, even though I, I only know a few people here and I actually don't know anyone here well, some pe- people I know, you know a little bit, but I think it's probably safe to say as a generalization that most of us spend, I would think, most of our lives um, on automatic pilot, I call it. Right? We're, we're awake, but we're asleep, if you will. Right? We don't have that mindful presence in the moment, what I call being on automatic pilot. Right? Well, when we're on automatic pilot, we're just in it. We're just caught in it. We don't have any real freedom or choice in the moment. We're just at the effect of circumstances, at the effect of just whatever experiences are arising moment by moment. And so we act out of the habitual conditioning of our minds when we're just on automatic. The key to breaking out of that is to start to bring some mindfulness. And awareness is that's part of what the meditation practice is about, Vipassana. You know, the Buddha used uh, an analogy that I like a lot. He used uh, a number of analogies or similes of rivers in his teachings, and he used them in different ways. One of them that he used was the image of a person floating down a river that was very... Um, pleasant and agreeable, right? Just the currents, just right, not too slow, not too fast. The temperature, air temperature, it's just a perfect day. And we're just content to float along. And he said life is kind of like that, right? And when we're floating along and the rivers is pleasant, agreeable, we're happy. It's great. 
when you hit a real choppy place, maybe you're in the rapids, or even worse, heading for a waterfall, we're not so happy, right? And so we're carried along just by the current of life as it will take us if we're not awake, if we don't have any freedom or choice. And so our well-being or our happiness, whatever words you want to use, our peace, our well-being, our happiness, is dependent upon just the way the flow of life happens to be going. And so he said, if we want to break out of that, you can think of it as going against the current. Sometimes you have to go against the current to get, you know, if you're heading for the rapids, you don't want to just let the flow of life take you. You need to put some effort in to head yourself in the direction you want to go. You have to wake up and then start to take appropriate action to move yourself. What he's referring to there is we don't have to... It's not that we have to step out of our lives. We don't have to go off into caves. I don't see anyone here. None of us are monks or nuns. We're all, so all of us are live in the world. The shift is finding a way for us to not be helplessly at the effect of everything. That's what one way to start to point to some of the freedom that the, the Dharma teachings that the Buddha was talking about. Finding a freedom in the midst of things. Right? Because that river of life is going to have the agreeable times and it's going to have the real rough ride parts. And we're not going to stop um, doing what we're doing to try and set up our lives to, to be the way we want them to be. And any of you have heard me talk here before, you know, I always say, um, you know, we, we, we don't need to stop having lives. But while, in, while we're in the process of setting our lives up to look a certain way, in the end we get what we get. And so this whole practice, this teaching is about what are we going to do with you get what you get. So, starting to look at our motivations and making them conscious can be very helpful to us. Right? To see what really is motivating me. Taking a look at those and then see, well, is this, you know, if, it's, if we examine it closely, it may or may not be what we really want our lives to be about. That's for each of us to determine. But we at least want to, to be able to examine it consciously. You know, I think if you, if you were to ask, on some level, everybody would say they want happiness in life, right? I would think. Would anybody say, I want unhappiness? Now, people may not uh, articulate it that way, right? May not even have thought about it like that. You know, even the worst... Um, you know, violent killer on some level, they want to be happy, I would think. 
they may be going about it in a harmful way that's hurting others and ultimately is hurting themselves. So they may not be very skillful about what, what they're doing to attain happiness, but I think we'd all want happiness. So one of the things when we look at what's motivating us, we may want to examine, you know, well, are the things that are motivating me, are those things that are going to lead me towards more happiness? Right? It's not that we don't have... To we don't have to get rid of all our desires. You know, in Buddhism, sometimes it's said you can't have desires, right? The Buddha didn't actually quite say it that way. If you look at the Four Noble Truths, um, he was actually trying to liberate the mind through uh, non-clinging, which is a whole other topic we're not going to get into tonight. And that was the first Noble Truth. And the second Noble Truth is where that clinging comes from. It comes out of, he didn't actually use the word desire, the word, you don't have to remember the Pali, but it's this word, Tanha, the word tanha means thirst, craving or desire, right? We, we just tend to say desire. You know, there are healthy desires that motivate us. If you didn't want to meditate, if you didn't have a desire to meditate, you wouldn't meditate. If you didn't have a desire to become more awake or conscious or free or loving or compassionate, you wouldn't try to develop those qualities in yourself. So those would be considered wholesome desires. It still is desire. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, it's moving us in a, what I would call a positive direction. There's nothing wrong with that. We're talking about the motivations that we want to be careful about or where it becomes a real thirst, a craving. Right? Um, it's a example this came to me I uh, uh, I never used to have a sweet tooth and didn't really care much about didn't eat much sugar just never was into it my wife's got a real sweet tooth so it's kind of being around it's got me into it a little bit and now I've developed it's just gotten programmed into my mind um, I really love dark chocolate now I never really I mean chocolate's always it was great but I didn't particularly now I've kind of got a thing about it and uh, just in the last couple of years, and not, I'm talking about, not like, the, you know, Trader Joe's will make those big one pound, oh, that stuff's awful, but, you know, good dark chocolate. As a matter of fact, just thinking about it right now, just saying it, I actually, you know, that'd be pretty nice. I, I can feel a little craving. Just, it's not that big of a deal, but it's, it's definitely, I, I, I just kind of, well, it just got conditioned into my mind. Well, that's an example of a craving that, you know, it is, it's mild, it's not that big of a deal, but it's not such a big deal because, you know, if I get it, fine. If not, yeah, I kind of still, if I pay attention, I'll still, I mean, I go home tonight, I think I probably will just break off of, I guess, of my stash. <laughs> but I don't have to have it. <laughs> I can quit any time, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that's tanha it's thirst it's craving right that's tanha if you gotta have it you're gonna suffer when you don't and it's gonna that's gonna be a motivation that when we don't examine it and don't see it it's gonna unconsciously propel us in certain directions so we all have areas in our lives that are like that for us whatever it is strong motivators so anyway, it's 
I'll, I'm going to move on to and talk about intention now, but that's, I guess, the main thing is that we want to try and look at our motivations. Maybe one more thing to say about motivation. I personally don't believe there's really... I don't know if there's such a thing as a totally pure motivation. Right? Much of what motivates us might be a mix. Might be, the, be a mix. Even to do something that might be helping another person. That we really genuinely want to help them. Also could, not necessarily, but could be tinged with you know, wanting them to think we're really great. Or I don't know, you know, it could be many different things that can tinge things. So I don't think we have to necessarily worry about that and get down to what's the real motivation. There's probably a mix of motivations in any given circumstance. That would be my take on it. Out of our motivations, we can start to set intentions. And intention is real important in Buddhist teaching. Because out of intention comes volition, the conscious, willful acting. And again, when we're not aware, when we're just on automatic pilot, we can act with intention sometimes, but it may not be for our own good or the good of others. You know, a simple example is, um, you know, I've had times, and maybe maybe we all have, uh, where... You know, I've been quite angry in a situation and I really wanted to verbally let the other person have it. Really wanted just to lay into them. Because they deserved it and I'm right and why are they acting this way? And right? And in that moment, there was a motivation which was just to kind of lay into them, let, set them straight. You know, it wasn't necessarily coming from a place of care for, for them. And... Um, you know, I may, I may not be conscious of it, but I have an intention there. I'm going to, at, you know, yell at this person. If I bring some awareness in, I still have a choice. The choice gets harder sometimes when the experience gets very intense, right? Whether an experience is pleasant or unpleasant, if it gets very strong, the stronger it gets, the harder it is to stay free and awake in the midst of it. And one of the fruits of uh, Dharma practice is that with time and with practice, the level of intensity for both pleasant and unpleasant that we can be awake and free and clear and present with grows. That's a fruit that I'm sure many of you know from your own practice. That, that can keep growing. But if, but if it gets too strong, it'll be hard. So we do the best we can moment by moment. Right? It's good to um, investigate our intentions in a broad, grand sense about what our intentions are for life. And it's also, I think, worthwhile moment by moment to become aware of intention as much as we can without tying ourselves up in knots. You know, if you take every second you're trying to figure it out, maybe you could go a little crazy. But just to, you know, to... to be looking at it through our days, through the day. Um, It's also important to really bring a lot of compassion and kindness to ourselves in this process. 
because we're going to fall asleep and go unconscious a thousand times. And after that, a thousand more times. Think how often you lose your mindfulness and get lost in thought. Sitting here, we come here for half an hour and we set an intention. You didn't consciously necessarily set an intention, although that's something I do and maybe some of you do actually set an intention when I sit. And then I come to sit for 30 minutes. You close your eyes. You let go of everything else. We're just here. There's nothing else to do. Look how hard it is just to stay present. Just with the breath. It's hard. right? How much of the time were you lost in thought and gone? And how much of the time were you present? It shouldn't surprise us that it's hard to stay present and awake. How much of our lives have we spent just lost on automatic pilot, just in the flow, in that stream. Just, right? and, the, and the mind gets habituated, conditioned in that way. Not developing that, those qualities of presence, wakefulness, mindfulness. It's just like when you go to a gym and start working out for the first time. You know, If you're not in shape, then you first go and maybe you work with a trainer or whatever and you try to lift some weights. Well, you're just not going to be able to lift much weight. It's not a blame. And, you know, we don't want to judge ourselves or criticize ourselves, but we should just know, well, I haven't been working out. I shouldn't expect I'm going to come here. You have to gradually over time develop it. And by doing it naturally, you don't even, all you have to do is show up and just keep trying. And you will tone up and you will get better. It's the same thing in the practice. When we show up here and try to stop, given how much of our time is spent just being involved in just the stuff of our daily lives, we shouldn't be surprised when we come to sit down and we're, you know, we're, and we're all doing it. We're sleepy. We're restless. Lost in thought. Worried. Anxious. Whatever. It shouldn't surprise us. I love what the Dalai Lama says about uh, how we should view our practice. Um, you know, the Buddha definitely... Um, advised us that we should not be judging and comparing ourselves. That it's just, it's nothing but a setup for suffering. He said it very clearly. However, since we're going to do it anyway, that a better way to judge it is not moment by moment by how good or bad we think we're doing it. The Dalai Lama says, you know, you have to look at the fruits of practice, you have to look back in five or ten year increments. And he didn't mean then you can look back and judge how good or bad it was. He just says, even to, just to see, have I gotten results here? Right? This is a long road. My wife, uh, just this, uh, she was recently, recently came back from a three month uh, meditation retreat. And uh, she's been back a, a couple of weeks. And she said to me, uh, just a few days ago, she said, you know, if. So, if someone asked, she said, if someone asked me if they should meditate, I would tell them, she said, I think I would tell them, yes, but it's a long road. <laughs> That's what she said. I don't know what inspired her to say that. But I think it's true. You're right. We don't just sit down and, you know, we come to practice for whatever reasons, but probably for many of us we want 
happiness, peace, right? Have that inner peace. That's the thing you hear about in meditation. You want to sit down and get calm, less stressful. And so you make an intention, but you can't make it happen. It has to develop and flower over time. So it's important to know when we're looking at our intentions that our intention is only one ingredient among many that causes anything to occur. You can't come with an intention to say, all right, no fooling around tonight. I'm going to sit here, darn it, and I'm going to really concentrate and I'm going to really stay in the breath and I'm going to really drop into some deep meditative states. Right? You can't make that happen. You cannot do it. What can happen and what does happen is by bringing that intention over time, it's just like with my mind got programmed around the chocolate, your, the conditioning of the mind in that way gets strengthened. So the ability of the mind to get more concentrated and the, the strength of mindfulness grows. That doesn't mean on any given day you can still make it happen because there are other factors that come in moment by moment. But through our intention, we strengthen certain of the conditioning factors. That's why it's important to get clear about what our, what our intentions are and then to know that as we start to head our lives in a direction in accordance with our intentions, that if it doesn't just go there right away, we have to really be easy on ourselves. We want to put effort in. We don't, when I say be easy on ourselves, it doesn't mean be lazy or not try. But it means we have to realize that you know, we've spent a lifetime you know, conditioning our minds in a certain way. And if you believe the traditional Buddhist teachings of multiple lifetimes, it's not necessary for you to believe that. But if you believe that, we've spent countless lifetimes conditioning our minds in certain directions. And it's kind of like, you know, when they talk about changing directions of those big oil tankers that are, I don't know how long they are, you know, a few hundred yards long. You know, you start to turn the, it takes a while to get the momentum's going in a certain direction. You turn, you can get that turned around, but you have to start, it takes a little time to turn. It's the same thing. We start inclining the mind towards the wholesome and the skillful. Getting our motivations and our intentions in alignment then in that direction and then let it take its time to work. And our job then is to, is to keep heading in the right direction, doing our part, which is to show up to practice and then let the fruits unfold as they will. That's our job. So we need to know that and be careful when we start to set these intentions because we can get a lot of... Um, Judging on ourselves. Right. So, um, the last thing I want to say, and then I, maybe we can have some discussion about um, about it. You know, we've been talking about, I've been talking about setting motivations and intentions for our deeper. I use the word well-being rather than happiness, but I use these words interchangeably: our happiness, our peace. Our, our, our ultimate well-being, our welfare. But I haven't said what some of those things might be. Right? But what are the things that one should set their 
sights on to align their motivations and their intentions with for our greater welfare. Um, And so each of the things I might suggest, I'm going to throw out some suggestions, each of us are going to have to make our own determination of what we want our lives to be about. Right? No one can tell us. We have to find out for ourselves. But each of the things I'm going to mention are, we won't be able to talk about them, but they're the kind of things that get talked about probably here and certainly in the center many, many times. I'm going to suggest that Certainly, we want to take care of ourselves in the ordinary sense of making sure like we all want to have enough food and shelter and we want to take care of ourselves financially and do all the things we need to do to take care of ourselves in life. Right? That's just common sense to do that. I'm going to suggest that in addition to that, we add in a piece. We don't throw away anything. We just add a piece. And the piece that I want to at least throw out as a suggestion, and then you can see, is, to, is that we can add in motivation and intention to develop qualities such as mindfulness, clarity, wisdom, loving kindness, compassion, patience, generosity. All of these Dharma qualities. Those are the areas that I want to propose are really in more of an ultimate sense going to do us some good. You know, if we have enough food and we have enough clothing and shelter and whatever our basic needs in the world is, that alleviates our suffering on a certain level. No doubt about it, right? If we don't have enough food and we're starving, it doesn't help for someone to come up to us and say to us, well, you know, your problem is not that the tsunami just hit and wiped out your village and you're about to die yourself. The problem is is that, you know, you're grasping and clinging. You're attached and you need to learn how to let go, right? You would never say that. I mean, that would be ridiculous, and it certainly would it not only would not be not helpful, but it's not very respectful for the real suffering going on. What's needed there is they do need the, the, the normal necessities of life, and we all need the normal necessities of life. I just want to propose that it's worth investigating, is that enough? If we find ourselves through... Uh, Buddhism is a, a great good karma to be in a position where um, we have enough spare time to even show up for a night like this and to even contemplate these things. That's considered great good karma and that we can use that to add in and to do more than just having enough food and shelter. And it doesn't diminish the importance of those. We don't diminish the importance of those but we can add in these other qualities, what I would call the spiritual dimension. That word spiritual might have different connotations for people, but add in that dimension. Right? It's so easy for us to live in a way where the world fills up our life. Right? It's really easy. 
But words that are foreign sometimes could be foreign to some of us like happiness, peace, contentment in actuality are not so far away. It is within each one of us. But we have to look in the right places. And this is the peace that the Dharma teachings are pointing us toward, that we can set our intention in that way and add in.